This morning we'll be looking at a section of James chapter 3, the first 12 verses, in fact. As we continue in our series on Christian living in a post-Christian world, we started out looking at what it meant to be salt and light in a society, a world that is dark. And then we looked last week at what it meant to respect authority in a world that is reveling in rebellion. And now this week, we look at something a little less global in scope, a little less grandiose in its effect on us, but yet far closer to home. That is the tongue. And so if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. James chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. (coughs) How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Excuse me. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that You would teach us from Your word. That You would convict us of our sin. That You would help us to see where we do not follow You. And yet at the same time, O Lord, we ask that You would encourage us, that You would show us that You love us through Your Word, and that You desire for us our good. 
This we ask, O Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, have you ever undertaken a job that became bigger than you expected at the outset? You know, you said to yourself, perhaps even to your spouse or your children, oh, I'll just take care of this, it'll just be a few moments. And then the few moments go by. And an hour goes by. And your frustration builds because something you thought should have been easy, easily handled, becomes a major mess. That happens to me quite often whenever I do anything around the house. I always hope it'll be easy. It never is, especially for me. And, and you know what it's like. It's not just that the job takes longer. It's that your frustration builds every moment with your inability to get it under control. That is the way I think we can feel about our tongues as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it seems such an easy thing to watch your language. Be careful what you say. It's not like lifting huge weights. It's not like traveling to Africa to be a missionary. It's not like raising huge sums for kingdom building. It's not like preparing a Sunday school lesson or preaching. All we have to do is watch what we say. Piece of cake. But if we're honest with ourselves, that is one of the hardest things about living a life as a follower of Jesus. The good news is, is that everyone in the world is in the same boat as you. They can't control their tongues either. We'll see in just a few minutes that James tells us that no one on earth can tame the tongue. And so this provides an opportunity for one who is not of earth to empower us to tame our tongues and to show the difference between a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and one who has not given his life to the Lord. It is a measure that is obvious to see of the work of Jesus. And so this morning I'd like us to see three things as we talk about our tongues and language. The first is the importance of the tongue. James describes to us how important the tongue is in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Second, we will see the impact of the tongue. It seems so little, but it does so much. And then the third thing we will see is the inconsistency of the tongue. And that is that the tongue belies that we are not truly glorified yet. No matter how far we think we have gone down the path of following Jesus, we still have a ways to go. The importance of the tongue, the impact of the tongue, and the inconsistency of the tongue. Let's begin then by looking at the importance of the tongue. This passage seems to start off on the wrong foot, doesn't it? We're going to talk about the tongue, and he starts with teachers. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It starts out with a warning. Now, perhaps you are breathing a sigh of relief. 
Glad I'm not up in the pulpit. I'm not even teaching Sunday school. Not even for the kids this week. I can escape this warning. But you see, I think here James has in mind a broader audience. He certainly is focusing his attention on those in the church who would seek to teach God's truth to others. But isn't there also a sense in which every Christian is a teacher? We teach others by our lives. We are living epistles. We walk around and we show others what it is like to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I would encourage you to think about that many of the people in your life will learn far more about the Bible, God, and Jesus from your life at work, in the restaurant, and in schooling groups than they will from me ever. We teach others by our attitudes, by our words, by our actions. And you see, there's a warning here that we need because I think often we think as Christians the only thing that's important is getting the big things right. There was some discussion about the way that Hollywood views life in the Internet this week related to a television show. And that is that all of the Hollywood heroes act like nothing is that important. They're all lazy at times. They can't figure out things to do until that one shining moment in which they're called to save the world, to defuse the nuclear bomb, to do something beyond anything we would imagine. And then as soon as that is done, they go back to their ordinary dreary existence, being lazy, not following through, etc., But you see, we can't live life like that. That's not real. That's a storybook. Real life is lived day upon day. Changing diaper by diaper. Taking day upon day of school. Getting up every day and being on time for work. Working hard every day. Treating others around you well every day. You see, reality is not that only big things matter. There's a second thing here in this warning that comes to us, and that is that we often can think that life is graded on a curve. You know what that's like. That's all the rage now in schools. It doesn't matter what score you get on a test. There could be 100 points, and you could talk to someone and say, what did you get on that test? I got a 43. Woohoo! 43? You don't understand. The average was 38. That's a good grade. Okay, And somehow we carry that into our own lives. And we think, as long as we are not lying, cheating, stealing all the time, hey, we're better than most. Look, i got the newspapers to prove how horrible people are. But you see, that's not what the Christian life is about. And James is telling us this, that even a very small thing like the tongue, even a very small thing like our speech has a very big effect. It's a very big deal. He gives us illustrations of this. He tells us, if you can keep your tongue in check, you're a perfect man. And lest we think we're perfect, he tells us how difficult this is. He says, you know what it's like to have a horse. Now, you all don't know what it's like to have a horse, do you? Some of you do. A horse is a massive, majestic animal. I think when we think of horses, we think of little cute ponies. Horses 
are nearly impossible to move. I mean, I think you could be a good-sized NFL linebacker and come at them at full speed and hit them, and you would bounce off. And James tells us you can move a horse wherever you want simply by pulling a string because it's in his mouth. It's like the way that we move our gigantic vehicles with uh, power steering now, right? You can move these gigantic Suburbans with one finger. Some of us remember the old days where you couldn't do this, right? We had to do this. You see how easy it is to move big things by the right aspect. And that's what James said the tongue is like. He gives us another example of a vehicle in a ship. These massive ships with big sails. And what do they do? Well, they turn them just with a very small piece of wood, the rudder. And it doesn't just turn the rudder, it turns the whole boat. That's what the tongue is like, James says. It is a small thing, but very powerful. It's powerful for good, for encouragement, for spurring each other on to action, to warn each other and to guide each other. But it's also very powerful for ill, isn't it? You've heard me say this before, but it's still true. The man who said, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is a liar. I know for many of us, we would much rather have our arms broken than have certain words said to us, right? You see, the tongue can be a very powerful force for good or for ill. It's an important thing. It's not only important, it has a great impact on our life. Look as James picks up again in verse 5. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by how small a fire. Now, I want you to understand that James is a wonderful preacher. He gives illustrations here of the horse and of the ship and now of a fire. And a fire is actually, I think, the perfect illustration here. I can say that because it's in the Bible. But it's... What is fire? Can man live without fire? No. Fire is supremely useful. We use it to cook. We use it to gain warmth. We use it for energy. But what happens when a fire gets out of control? What happens when even a little tiny fire gets out of control? Many of you have grown up on the ads from time immemorial of Smokey the Bear saying, don't even leave a smoldering fire. We saw this just a, a little bit ago out west where a massive fire started from a small blaze and got com so completely out of control, the elite firefighting unit was caught off guard and killed. You see, that's what the tongue is like. When it is out of control, it is a great blaze. It is very destructive. And there are so many ways it can be destructive. Look at how James describes it. It is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. What does James mean by that? Surely, James, you should be spending some time talking about lying hurting other people, beating other people, stealing from other people. 
Now what James is describing for us here is that the tongue not only sets its own blaze, but it fans other flames. Think about it. What do we use to cover up our sins? Our other sins. But our tongue. None of us have gotten away from watching any crime drama where someone has stolen or murdered, but that they have also what? Lied. You see, the tongue is the thing that we do to cover up our own iniquity. There's another thing, though. The tongue is what is used to stir up hate and anger. How much death and mayhem has occurred in the world because of the tongue? Stirring people up to the point of madness. This is what so small a thing as the tongue can do. And it shouldn't surprise us that the tongue can do this because James tells us that it is a point of attack for the enemy, for Satan. Look at how he describes it. It is a world of unrighteousness. It is set among all our members and it is set on fire by hell. You see, Satan knows that he can use this point of attack. He knows it's much easier to find a chink in your armor around your speech than around other areas of your life. Far easier to convince you, isn't it, to tell one small, teeny, tiny, white lie than it is to convince you to murder someone or to commit adultery. Think about the way we even describe that. What makes a lie big or small? And what makes a lie white or black? These are things we say to ourselves to diminish the sin. And then we seek to comfort ourselves by saying, well, you know, everybody does it. Don't you know that? Everybody puts their thumb on the scale. Everybody says just a little bit extra on the deduction for their taxes. Everyone says, oh, I'm just a little bit better on my evaluation than I am. Right? And we think somehow that excuses our actions when really what that does is it denies us as the church of Jesus Christ an opportunity to be different than the world. To be salt and light. The tongue is also a force for good though, isn't it? It has an impact in our lives. Think about what has the greatest impact in your life. Is it not the words of Jesus Christ? Is that not the way that we speak power to others? That we bring the gospel to others through words? You see, the tongue is powerful beyond our imagining. But one of the things we must remember is that the words that we speak cannot be controlled by men. It would seem to be an easy task, wouldn't it, to clean up our language? It's not exactly like changing your life. Right? If I gave you the choice between cleaning up your language or going on a really strict diet, which would you pick? Which would you think would be easier? If I told you you had to turn your finances completely upside down, would you rather do that or try and work on your language? You see, the problem is, is that we think it is just about habits. We think it's just something that we can work into our daily routine and we will change. But you see, James tells us it is impossible. And he uses yet another wonderful illustration for us. He says, every kind of beast and bird, 
of reptile and sea creature can be tamed. Now, I want you to picture in your mind here a tame shark. A tame eagle. Now, I don't want to see Fluffy the dog or fish. I want you to think of the most outrageous of wild animals. And, and James says, someone has tamed them. And this is true. It was actually true in James's day. One of the things that the Romans were very proud of was that they had tamed all sorts of odd and majestic animals and paraded them through the Colosseum. He says, you could do any of these things, but you can't tame your tongue. Now think about that. The next time you think it would be easy just to get up and make a habit, it's easier to have a tame shark than to control your tongue. You see, this reminds us of the great truth that we should carry with us every day. That we are not able. No matter how much Bible we know, no matter how much we pray, no matter how many Christian friends are around us, no matter how often we are in church, we cannot in our own power change ourselves. Not even the smallest part of ourselves. The tongue. If we are to make any headway in this area, it must be by the power of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, making us more and more like Jesus. And you see, isn't that a wonder? Because it's a way that shows us and others around us that Jesus makes all the difference. It, re it reminds us that we are not in control and even such a small thing as this is beyond our area. This gets us back to what it means to control our tongue. Some of us think that all this means is not using four-letter words in public. But doesn't that get us back to our view of the Ten Commandments? Because if all I said that you needed to do to control your tongue was not to use four-letter words of a colorful variety in public, I think almost all of us could maintain that level of action. But it isn't. What about coarse language? You know what I mean. And I'm going to take a moment here and say specifically, young people, you know exactly what I mean. You know the words that are just off from a four-letter word. They carry that connotation. They're called often minced oaths. It's a word that you can use and makes mom and dad uncomfortable, but it isn't quite technically a swear word. It's a word that you can use that impresses your friends when you throw it up on Facebook or when you use it in public. It's kind of like getting away with something. Men and women can do this too. We use certain kind of coarse, joking language in, and we say, well, that's just at work. I wouldn't use that at home in front of my kids. Well, why not? If it's perfectly acceptable language, why wouldn't you? And maybe it isn't even the words themselves. Maybe it's the content of the words. What about gossip? You see, one of the great challenges for the Christian church is gossip that is preceded by the pious phrase, you know, we just really need to pray for them because the fire comes out. Whenever someone walks up to you and says it, and then you know what I mean, oh, we just, 
we really have to pray for them. Stand back, fire-breathing dragon about to come out. I know it for a fact. Because I've done it myself. And so have you. You see, the tongue just takes over from us. There's also thoughtless language, isn't there? This we see, and I think can understand most in the context of marriage. So, the young people have to trust me on this one. It's those things that in the middle of, shall we say, a disagreement of principles between husband and wife, that someone pops off in the heat of the moment. And as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you realize that is going to be exhibit F for about the next 15 years. For every other fight that follows. And you see, you say, well, I didn't mean it. Well, then why did you say it? But you see, that happens, doesn't it? But you kids have experienced this on a little bit of a level too. It's playground chatter. It's things that you say to someone that are completely thoughtless. Where you walk up to someone you're enjoying spending time with and you say, well, you know, you're not my best, best friend. He's my best, best friend. Why would you say that? What's the intention there? What is the hope? You see, the tongue has a great impact on our lives and we must understand this. There's only one hope for the tongue. You could try right now to say, cross my heart, hope to die, I am never going to gossip again. And I'm going to keep a journal so that if I ever think about gossiping, I'll write it down. You could say to yourself, you know, I'm never going to use any of these words ever again or any of these other words, even though maybe people use them on television, I'm never going to use them. And you could keep a list Keep track and have a jar where you make someone make you put a quarter in or a dollar in every time you use a word. And you can think, this is how I will get past my tongue. But let me tell you, beloved, you will not. Now, there's nothing wrong with cultivating a good habit. There's nothing wrong with jars for money for mistakes to help you feel the pain a little bit. But when we rely upon that alone to change us, we are thinking in vain. And it may be that you are sitting here this morning right now and you don't know who Jesus is. You don't know His claims and and they quite frankly make you a little bit uncomfortable. But you do want to live a good moral life. You do want your kids to be raised in a good society. And you think, well, I can just work a little bit harder than others and I'll get this under control. You have to understand that you have no hope there. Your only hope is to come to the one who never once uttered a false word. Never once uttered a gossip or a coarse word. Even when there were people around him who deserved it. Your only hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work. For as He changes us by faith and we follow after Him as our example, knowing that He is the one who has mastered the tongue and He has sent to us His Spirit to change us every single day and to make us more and more like Himself. Because you see, there's a third and final thing. If we are not committed to this, if we are not committed to gospel change in our lives, both in being right with God and being made more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, James says, people will spot your inconsistency. 
And I think this is something else for us as we think about our desire to impact the world. It is much easier to control the way others see our presence in other areas of our life besides the tongue. It's easier to control how we dress, what we spend money on, where we go and who we associate with. But the tongue is an entirely different matter. It has, you'll forgive me, a mind of its own, doesn't it? The things we say when we get cut off in traffic. The things we say when we are hurt by someone else. The things we say when we think only a few choice people are around. And James again puts it very colorfully. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father. And then we curse those who are made in the image of our God and Father. He says, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. We used to have a saying when I was growing up about this. Maybe it's still used. Someone would look at you and say, do you kiss your mother with that mouth? And the implication is, your mouth is to be used for good. You can't have it both ways. You can't pretend that filth and holiness dwell in the same place. And and James says, look, it's like if you wanted to take a drink. Do you think that a spring could produce both drinkable water and salt water? Do you think certain types of plants can just grow whatever kind of fruit they want? That You know, one day it's figs. The next day it's olives. The next day it's grapes. As foolish as it is to think that about plants is the same way to think that we can live lives that are inconsistent with the testimony of who we are. I tell you right now, if you wish to have an impact in the world, you must begin with examining your speech. You cannot tell others that Jesus is love and then speak words of hate. You cannot tell others that Jesus is your only hope and then speak words of despair. There are inconsistencies. You see, our own words can drown out our testimony. There's a wonderful bumper sticker that's truer than most people give it credit for. It says, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And that's true. And it's especially true in this area. And one of the things we need to remember is, is that we must stop implying to the world around us that we are perfect. Now, now don't get me wrong. I don't think that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should say we participate in all of the things and all of the filth that the world does, and there's no difference. I didn't say there was no difference. I said we need to stop portraying to others that we are perfect that somehow our clothes don't get spots on them, that we never get angry, that we never need forgiveness, that we always follow the rules. Because you see, when we do that, it becomes obvious very quickly that we aren't. And then people see that we're lying. And then they go to the step of thinking we're lying about other things, like the truth of God's Word, and who Jesus is, and what our hope is. You see, our tongues can drown out our testimony. It can ruin an opportunity for witnessing through boasting, through misleading, through nagging. 
I don't think it was a part of the Apostle Paul's evangelism plan to nag people into heaven. Through cutting others down. You see, all of these things ruin our opportunities for witness. And it shows an inconsistency in our lives. Now, it is not that the tongue is all bad. Don't get me wrong. Do not take, please, as an application from this sermon, that you need to go home and cut out your tongue to save yourself from the power of the fire of the tongue. No. What it is saying is that the tongue is a window into our soul. Our Lord Jesus Christ said this in Luke 6. He said, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what we need to be doing is constantly seeking the Lord Jesus Christ and His grace to weed out from us remaining sin to make us more and more like Himself and to sanctify us before the Father. James says this is really important. He says this ought not to be so that we're inconsistent because he wants to remind us of a final thing and that is that words can testify to God's power. We can indeed bless God. We can indeed bless people with our tongue. Remember the part about the sticks and the stones? The opposite is true. You see, there is almost nothing better that you can do for someone who is discouraged than to come alongside them and to give them words of hope and confidence. This is what the tongue can do. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4 that we are to let no corrupting talk come out of our mouth but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And when we do that, it will not be what others expect. When we have a kind word in a very bad situation, it catches people off guard. They don't understand. They might even think we're being insincere. You see, we... We do not need to be perfect. But we do need to be different. And the tongue is a place to begin. If you want to make a difference in your community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your town, in the world, then where you need to start is small. Start with your tongue. Start small. Start now. And others will see the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in you. Let's pray.